you're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Portainer's co-founder and CEO, Neil Cresswell, to get an update on their product. If you haven't heard of Portainer, it's one of the original web apps to manage Docker, then Swarm, and now Kubernetes. In fact, it's hard to have a conversation about container management and not mention Portainer because it does so much and it's been around for so long. I met with Neil at DockerCon back in 2017 or 2018, and I have been using Portainer off and on for years at that time. We were both passionate about Docker and the multiple orchestration options that you could run on top of it. So he was all in on Portainer, obviously, being the co-founder, and he wanted it to be the number one solution for managing all your nodes and clusters, no matter which way you decided to run your containers. And he's still doing that today. The interview also includes multiple demos as we investigated the web UI for Portainer, but most of the show was Neil talking about all that it can do in 2022 and that how much they're investing in the future features of the product. This is definitely one of my top 10 tools for consideration to manage your container environments. So please enjoy this hangout with Neil Cresswell of Portainer. Hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I've got Neil on the show, Neil Cresswell, technically of New Zealand, but currently in the States doing some cool stuff. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome to be here, actually. Yeah. And we were talking, we were catching up before the show because both of us met back in the day at DockerCon. We're not sure if it's 2017, 2018, somewhere around those years, we were both volunteering for workshops, basically teaching people Docker in the early days or kind of early days, because I think that was like four, year four or five at that point. It was, um, still, it was still very unstable, so it was- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we spent a lot of time ta- helping people get through the hurdles of getting it installed and deployed and using it every day. And even back then, you had Portainer and we were all using it. So one of the things that I wanted to get into really up, up front was like your personal journey with creating Portainer and and for those that actually have never heard of this tool, it's one of the oldest tool in the in the Docker ecosystems for like managing Docker, web GUI. It's got a whole bunch of stuff in it now, but and we're gonna get into all that. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is how you're like one of those OG tools from way back in the day that was riffing on the idea of what if we didn't have to do Docker command lines for every single thing we wanted to do, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean command lines are amazing and people love them. But if you don't know the commands, how do you find out what it can do? So, you know, my, my whole premise was let's make it really obvious the power of Docker, what Docker can do and all of the cool stuff that Docker has available, make it front and center. Because if, if, if you didn't know that you could do Mac VLAN, you'd never know. If you didn't know that you could do um, persistence, you wouldn't know the command to go look for. 
And you know, short of going trying learning all those commands and seeing what they do, you know, Portana made it really easy to see what was available right in front of your eyes. Yeah. And that's what I, one of the things I always appreciated about it was one, it's the simplicity, you know, you spin it up as a container and it helps you manage the environment you're in. It was also one of the earliest tools that I remember adding ability for managing multiple nodes with or without swarm, having agents, like there's all this hidden gem stuff that we're going to get into that really, I think makes it a, a very simple tool to use. I've been using it off and on for, I don't even know how long, like super, I'm sure I learned it from some other Docker captain way back in the day. And I know in the Dr. Captain's program, especially you're a favorite, like Portainer is one of our favorite tools to recommend, especially for people that don't need extreme sophistication or overcomplication. They just really want a simple tool that works, but has all the necessary things that they need to do their day and day job. So congrats on still being here because there's been a <laughs> lot of changes in the community, right? We've had lots of tools, lots of ideas and you prevailed. So congrats to that. Yeah, that's my stubbornness, uh, determination, and just, I'm going to make this thing work attitude there. That's, yeah, I, I so strongly believe in the whole message behind Portainer, why we created Portainer. And I, I'm just absolutely adamant that for this technology, which is an absolute game changer, yeah, you know, containerization, for it to get into the mainstream, it has to be stupidly easy to use. You know, you can't have a complicated technology adopted by the mainstream and there's absolutely no reason why every single business of every of any size shouldn't be able to embrace you know, container-based applications and services. The only way to do that, not everyone can afford to to hire expensive SREs and DevOps people. The only way is to make the tech stupidly simple, and that's right. the whole ethos behind Portainer: make it stupidly simple to use. Yeah, and one of the things that tools like Portainer do is make some of my training unnecessary because one of the things I often train and teach people on is those hidden gems of the command line that mm -hmm. you're bringing out in the UI for, you know, people see it visually where often those things, even with the dash dash help commands that we always look at and talk to people about, like, unless you're someone who reads every one of those or reads the entire man page or whatever, you tend to not understand the benefits of some of the functionality that's hidden away, or you don't even understand why a command exists because the help doesn't really give you the why it just gives you the how mm -hmm. so it's something that i mentioned in my courses so it's usually the answer to some question every month for the last three years it's just sort of one of those tools that at this point it's almost like how do you not know about portainers so i'm glad i don't know why we haven't ha talked about this on the show had you on the show especially since we met back in the day i remember you handed me a t-shirt like right yeah. right back when we were all getting plenty of swag you were like here, have a t. What size T-shirt do you want? And nowadays, it's funny because I joke with everyone that no, no one gives us swag anymore because I got to mail it, and I don't like all my T-shirts are getting worn out. We're gonna have to just go back to real world conferences just so we can get some updated swag. I, I was at uh, KubeCon in uh, LA in la late last year, and it was just there was swag everywhere, and I'm like, woohoo! I can restock <laughs> all of my actual vendor T-shirts. So I just went and grabbed all these shirts and hats and everything, and restocked everything. Yeah, it was the same. They were all threadbare. Yeah, and I mean, I almost went, but you're now in the states because your company is growing. You all are doing really successful. So let's talk about that for a minute before we get into the product. So first off, like for everyone just curious about this thing, we're, we are going to talk get much more into it. But what's the elevator pitch? It's a web app, right? Like that's the main interface we use for it. Yeah, so we use that tagline uh, service delivery platform because we're so much more than a web UI now. It, there's, it, it's so deep. It's 
a self-service portal for developers that is implemented by a platform engineer, a, a sysadmin, or a consultant, choose, choose what you like. So somebody who knows what they're doing installs Portainer in the environment and provides Portainer to other users inside that organization who may not necessarily have the same levels or depth of skill. So that's kind of its its goal is, is to be installed by someone smart in an organization to be used by the rest of the organization who doesn't need necessarily to, un to have the same depth of knowledge in Docker or, or, or Kubernetes. Right. And my, where well, I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff today. Often it's great to have these guests on because I'm learning as well. And so they're just teaching me things, but Neil today is going to, we're going to go through some of the functionality and I'm a little outdated on all the latest updates because there's been a steady stream of updates for five years. I mean, how long has this tool been around? Yeah, I think it's five years. It initially we, you know, it was just three or four of us building it for, for basically three years. And then we decided, Hey, this thing is actually probably got some legs on it. Let's try and turn it into a open source company, you know, got, got some venture funding and we're able to hire a bunch of developers. And then once you have developers, you can change the world way faster. Um, right. So yeah, now we've got lots of developers working on this thing. In fact, we've got over 20 full-time devs building Portainer out now. About about as many QAs as well to try and improve the, the the quality of the product. So we've got this army of people now building functionality. So you know, every second month we actually release a new version, and every single month we release probably a hundred new features and capabilities or bug fixes. So it the it's evolving so quickly and is so so feature rich now. Yeah, and back when I first learned it, it was all open source, and that and is that now the community edition? Yeah, correct. So we've got Portainer CE, which is the open source community edition version. And then we've got Portainer Business and Portainer Business, it's real, it's real point of difference is if you have a CISO, you'll need Portainer Business. So we've basically said there's that there are compliance, governance, and additional levels of security that a organization requires that is built into the business version. So if it's just you using Portainer or just your team using Portainer, the free version is probably okay, the open source version. If it's multiple teams or your entire organization, then Portainer business is probably the answer. Just because we've got better, you know, there's better logging, there's integration with corporate directory services, role-based access control, that kind of stuff. Nice. Now there's no SaaS component of this, is there? This is all something that I'm all downloading and running in cluster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you run one copy of Portainer yeah, anywhere. So you can either spin up a single Docker host and run Portainer. You can put it in a cluster. You can put it in one of your production clusters. So you, you have a copy of Portainer running somewhere, and then you have our agents on every other environment that you want to manage. So we can support up to 20,000 clusters under one Portainer instance. So yeah, when you talk about multi-cluster management, that's pretty decent size, but you run it somewhere, it runs as a container and our, our agent runs in every other environment and the agent makes care or takes care of the, the secure comms between Portainer and the remote environment. Yeah. And that, I loved that model early on back when I was, wouldn't shut up about Swarm and I was hoping that Swarm would last forever as a, as a simple alternative to Kubernetes. Of course, everyone that's listened to this show knows that it's, you know, the feature set building has kind of died off. It's still built into Docker. It's still there, but you know, it's barely getting one new feature a year now and who knows the future of it. So a lot of us have just kind of moved away from that, but there is still this huge, I feel like it's huge 
it's maybe not huge in terms of the world, but there's definitely a strong community about Swarm. There's chatter going on about it in my DevOps Discord room every day. I mean, people are asking questions. People are taking the court my Swarm. So there are definitely still people out there using it, and it speaks to them. And I think you're one of the few tools that really gives an, an additional bunch of functionality on top of Docker and Swarm. Is that right? Yeah, and believe it or not. So we've got some anonymous analytics that run if you let it. And that, that's how we know how many users we have. And we've actually just clicked over 600,000 regular monthly users of Portainer, which is pretty cool. But there's about 30,000 of those every month are actually Swarm users. So, and yeah. it's actually quite consistent. I'm not seeing it drop off much. And it's quite interesting. Like we, we see the month on month growth and Docker standalone is still growing. It's a 8% month on month growth of, of new users, roughly of, of Docker users. So even Docker itself, Docker standalone is still increasing in regards to its adoption. But yeah, Swarm, it's still vibrant. We still get feature requests to add capability into Portainer for Swarm. I'm slightly more concerned about its long-term viability now, but it's still an amazing product. Yeah. Yeah, and I keep hoping, I mean, you and I probably pay a lot closer attention, but there, you know, for the last year or two, I believe that there's been, actually, no, since 2019, there's been work on extending the volume support for Kubernetes drivers, the yep. C... CSI. CSI, thank you. <laughs> I was almost saying CNI. I was like, nope, that's not the right one. The CSI standard and that Kubernetes sort of set, and there's been some good effort there, but it hasn't made it into a Docker release because Docker doesn't do major releases, but every couple of years now, which is kind of mm -hmm. crazy, but also just shows the maturity of the tool. There's bug fixes, but I think for something like this, it probably would be have to be in a major release. I'm just guessing. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if sort of if CSI got added in and suddenly you could use the plethora of growing Kubernetes projects, or at least a few of them, because I do believe they have to add a tiny bit of custom functionality for each one of them. But regardless, the way I understand it is you never know, it could breed new life breathe new life into the project and people could use it again it's one of the challenges i had because rex ray was my favorite storage engine for it and that kind of fell fell to the wayside and got stopped being supported essentially by the company that was funding it i think it was dell or vmware one of the two were both and so i you know there's a lot of people out there that i think would love there to be this viable other option I, strangely we're going to have not strangely but ideally we're going to have nomad on i think later this this quarter, which is another well-mentioned orchestrator um, out there. Not quite as easy as Swarm because you still got to set up the database cluster console and all that stuff for managing it. But I still, I'm always going to have a place in my heart for Swarm, no matter <laughs> no matter well, if it you, completely what, goes away or what. Watch the space. Watch the space. We're, we're actually adding support for Nomad in, in March. So there'll, there'll oh. be a, a, a very first, a very first uh, version of Portainer with support for Nomad in March. And it, it's actually the, a cut down version of Nomad, so it's very, very simple to install and configure. So, oh wow, it's it, it's Nomad with using the Docker driver, but under you know, behind the scenes. But technically, you can use it for anything. But yeah, in March will be the will be our very first zero dot one release with support for it. Because again, all we care about is from Portainer is deploying your applications that run as containers. The underlying mechanism for us is actually irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it's Docker, Swarm, Kubernetes. That, that's why we have ACI support too, to, to kind of prove prove a point. You know, not that anyone really uses it in production, but it's there and yeah. adding Nomad as well. And that would make you, I mean, I feel like you're the only tool that would do, that does Kubernetes and Docker in one tool. And now you're going to add Nomad, which would definitely make you 
a unique tool in the in the ecosystem because I've I've never heard of a tool that does all three. Even Rancher One, which I think someone in chat said we are also planning to migrate to Swarm from Rancher One Six, which I'm guessing that was the last release of the one branch back when they would support yep. Swarm and had cattle and their own orchestrator at the time before they basically went all in on Kubernetes and then only Kubernetes, which of course rubbed a lot of people the wrong way just because they were trying to not go Kubernetes. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's kind of amazing that you have all this functionality. And then I keep finding about all this other functionality elsewhere, like something that I shared this week that didn't realize the significance of it with Portainer. I'm a big fan of Multipass. If you've listened to this show before, we actually just talked a lot about Multipass last week because we went through all these Docker desktop alternatives. And one of the boxes in that spreadsheet, of which I should have up if I was prepared, was a built-in GUI that would at least let you do some basic stuff with Docker, kind of like how Docker Desktop does image management and it does composing and running container management now and stuff like that. But in Multipass, which is turning out to be the second or third best alternative to Docker Desktop based on this silly little spreadsheet that we have. But the point I wanted to get to was they made it not only easier to auto-install Docker, but make an alias so that you don't even need Docker on your host machine. It just runs straight to this VM through this alias. And then they added Portainer in there out of the box, right? Is that true? That's true. Yeah. So now you essentially have this web GUI that's way more full-featured than Docker Desktop, at least in terms of the GUI, writing on top of a VM, which Docker Desktop runs in a VM, running... Uh, an alias for the Docker command line, so you won't even need it on the host and have to worry about all the configuration of the context in order to get Docker to work correctly with the VM. And you can choose whether or not it's Docker or Kubernetes. You can do one or the other. You can do both. Rancher Desktop, because they seem to be the one piling on all the new features really, really quickly. But Multipass has been around a while and has been my favorite way to set up multi-node swarms ever since Docker Machine went away. So it's really great to hear Portainer. And by the way, as far as I know, Neil, let me know if I'm wrong. Portainer runs on every docker engine like it runs on docker desktop it can run on rancher it can run on uh, all the things right absolutely it's a it, all we need is docker api or kubernetes api and and we'll run there we don't we don't care arm 64 linux windows pretty much any act i mean we, we even know people using it on an ibm z series mainframe so it's completely feasible to run it anywhere you like yeah, and that's kind of the nice part about it is it's universal. Uh, it can run on servers. It can run your local machine. It's a very universal utility. So Nomad seems simple, but actually is very complex. It does have that nice feature of being able to run things outside of containers. But once you've like fully gone container crazy like I have, that's not an interesting distinction anymore because it's like, why? Why? I don't want to run stuff on the host anymore. So, okay. So we're going to talk, we're going to start diving in. I'd love to start diving into some of the functionality. As a developer or as a home user or what, however you want to describe yourself running in your machine, it's quite nice to be able to come in here and from a Docker perspective, see the containers that are running, you know, obviously see the network, see the volumes. So you can actually engage with the Docker environment directly, or you can instantaneously switch and actually start managing the Kubernetes one as well. So you can start to deploy Kubernetes applications. I can go and deploy something with Helm. You can kind of do any, anything you feel like. So it's really nice from within the one tool on my machine, being able to manage both sides of the camp there. Right. And one of, one, one of the really, really important things here is that we've, yeah, you know, our, our focus and yeah, you know, my product team, I, I, I think I drive them crazy. I'm really maniacal on, on making it simple to, to use. 
you know, I, I, I hate lingo that doesn't really help explain what something is for. So we've always got two options. We've got this, our, our form based mechanism, which is more like a wizard. It's guided. It, it helps you in plain English with some tech, obviously, but it, it guides you through doing something. So creating a namespace with a form, this is actually helping me do things. So, you know, do I want to, to do a, a resource quota? Yes or no. And, and what is it, you know, and if, if you know, resource quota in Kubernetes, it, it's not as nice as 0.1 of a CPU, 0.4 of a CPU. So we're actually doing a lot of translations to make it really easy to help you set quotas in a mechanism. So things like storage quotas and load balancer quotas, you know, just because your class has labeled, maybe just maybe you don't want your devs being able to go crazy and, and deploying 57 applications with 57 load balancers because, you know, that's going to get quite expensive. So maybe you want them just to be able to have four load balancers. Same thing with storage. And we make it really easy to give access to, to registries. So we can, we'll actually go and auto create the image pool secret inside the namespace for the, the private registries. So we make it really, really easy to, to do things. Or if you know what you're doing, you can just paste in a manifest or from Git or paste something in. So yeah, it really depends what you want. So that's kind of the main difference, I believe with, with us compared to other tools in the market. You know, if, if you look at any other Kubernetes management tool sets, they all expect you to know Kubernetes. If you don't know Kubernetes, you're really drowned. You know, they don't guide you through how to do something in, in, in normal everyday IT language. All right. The questions are pouring in. I'm going to interrupt you in the middle because that's how we do it here with the chat. Does the community version have multi-cluster support or does the community version? So yes, it does. Both versions support 20,000 clusters. So but the blue version is community. So if you want something quick and easy, if the sidebar here is blue, in the CE version. If it's gray, I'm in the business version. So, but yes, 20,000 nodes or 20,000 clusters, I should say. Nice. That's a nice round number. I'm not sure I see anything close to that, but it's good to know your max, I guess. It isn't even a max, sorry, that we, we basically spun up 20,000 environments on Amazon, which was fun. Uh, and we, we were measuring the IO load and other bits and pieces and we could go higher than 20,000. I just didn't want to spend any more money spinning, right. spinning up any right. more nodes than 20,000 nodes. Yeah, I, I think for almost everyone out there, it would be, unless you're Google or Netflix or something, it would be as many as you want because... <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, once you're at 20,000 clusters, you've got all sorts of problems that uh, aren't related to this. Um, not really a question, but I'm going to put it in the form of a question. Resource monitoring dashboard. It's almost like a feature request, I guess, is what they're asking. So I'm going to assume these questions are on Kube, but otherwise we might want to qualify that. So if, you, if you're asking a question, just be clear as it docker or kube so in here we have the ability for kubernetes so you can see how much memory is currently used how much is reserved cpu uh, you can look at the stats so you can we can go and see how of the node you know how much memory is used how much cpu is currently being used so we can see this kind of information so you can see it at a node level you can see it at a cluster level and at an application level if i was to deploy one you would be able to see it at that level as well so if i was coming to say the portana agent and see stats, I can actually see for this particular pod in this case, because it's Kubernetes, how much memory and CPU is the pod using. And this is simply pulling metrics from the Kubernetes metric service. Right. So, and for Docker, we do something, we do in fact, exactly the same thing. You can come into your containers and come into any container and see stats, same thing. There's more, slightly more information with, um, with Docker, but you know, basically it's the same principle. Right. 
So, okay, so you're acting as the metric storage system then, right? Because you don't have like a, you know. We're not storing. We're not storing. We are simply connecting to the metro. So what, what I can't do, so I'm showing you right now, what I can't show you is what it was 15 minutes ago. And so if I come into these stats, I start collecting stats at this exact second. This is the time I started. And then yeah. you can sit and monitor it. So it's different from a Prometheus or Grafana where I, I can say, show me the stats half an hour ago. It's, it's not that. This this is real monitoring right now to triage a problem as opposed to um, responding to a an SRE ticket that said at 9.30 this morning the system was running slow. Can you tell me why? Not through this, you can't. Right. This is basically right now there's a problem. I want to go, want to go triage what's going on right now. Yeah, and I'd say that's, at least in my experience, that's pretty similar to all the other dashboards that aren't a full monitoring tool is that they give you that that kind of stuff as well. So this seems very in line. I wasn't really sure because if it said, it was like, wow, if you're storing metrics, like how far does this go? <laughs> like this could just go yeah, down we, a rabbit we're hole. Not, we're not storing any, any metrics at all in our, in our database. It would blow up our database. There, there, There is currently a dev spike to look at an integration with Prometheus to allow us to to provide more historical data. I'm still not sure on the value of that. So that's why it's a dev spike as opposed to anything else, but it's something we are considering. But yeah, you know, we, we're basically saying, you know, we, we will give you 80% um, of the value from all of these tools inside inside Portainer through here. So you know, deep metrics and alerting, this is where Prometheus and Grafana shine and we're not doing it there today and we're considering, do we get in that space? And same with logging, you'll see we've got you know, real-time logging, but we don't have any, anything kind of centralized to some syslog server. Right. So, you know, we're looking here and saying, you know, we, we can we flesh out and add, add value? Because if we can't add value, it's not an area that I want us to go into. You know, we must be able to make something easier to use or simpler to understand, or, you know, there's got to be some kind of unique value prop for us to add it to Portainer. We don't just add it for fun. Right. And one of the things that's, because it's a container, and it's not a dozen containers, at least not to get the web in engine up. It tends to be a much easier deployment methodology. In fact, we were just talking before the show, I was, you were telling me all the places you, you can do it. And there's a uh, marketplace for DigitalOcean, one of my favorite easy hosters, and they have Portainer in there. And that just makes it even easier if you're on DigitalOcean, for example. And I think you mentioned some other ones, right? Civio? Yep. Civo. Yeah, and we're also a charm on the Juju Charm store. So if you want to use uh, Juju to deploy your clusters anywhere, you can use that. And also MicroK8's native as well. Yeah. And so that makes it easier to deploy. And then is, this might even be Inception, but is my memory correct in that there you have like a list of common stacks or things to deploy or other tools inside the app that... We do for Docker. So under Docker, we have our app templates. And the app templates, you can just go and click to deploy. So the, these are this is very easy to get applications running in seconds. Now, believe it or not, there's actually a whole marketplace of app template JSON files. So, you know, we basically can redirect to any kind of JSON file. We we have our own one, but you can redirect out to any anybody's anybody can host one of these JSON files, and it's just a standard format. Anybody can create and host a template file, and and then you bring it in. And if you search for uh, Portainer template JSON, there's dozens and dozens of them out there on the internet that you can connect to and populate this list with a whole bunch of really cool stuff. Click click to deploy. Yeah, nice. Some other questions on that. I'm getting questions around comparing 
the functionality to Rancher. I know we talk a lot, a lot about Rancher on this show, and I, I mean, I actually never really thought about comparing the two. What are your thoughts on that? So Rancher serves a really strong purpose, which is to build you a cluster on-prem, right? Rancher has RKE, they have K3S. Rancher's primary function is to assemble you a Kubernetes cluster based on the components that they that they recommend. That's their, their primary goal. Portainer does not help you build a cluster. You know, we help you with day two operations. So you hand us a cluster, install the agent, and then from that point on, to run run and manage everything from Portainer. So in that regard, we don't care what kind of Kubernetes distro you're running. It can be on-prem, it, it can be Rancher, it can be K3S, it can be MicroKates, it can be anything, we don't care. So if you try to say, well, you know, is, is Portainer a replacement for Rancher? Well, it depends. Are you using Rancher to build you and maintain you your on-premises cluster? Then no, it's not a replacement. Rancher, right. when you have it up and running, has a dashboard feature as well. But that dashboard assumes that you know Kubernetes. And it's talking about replica sets and stateful sets and PVCs and volume claims and, and all sorts of Kubernetes specific lingo. If you don't know what that means, you cannot do a thing. There's also often just a plus sign for add an application and it wants you to paste in a manifest. If you don't know how to write a YAML file, you can't do a thing. So in that regard, there's actually substantial value having Portainer running on top of Racha, with Portainer being your day two operations tool for applications, but the Rancher being your tool to manage the underlying cluster. If you are in the cloud and you're using a DigitalOcean Kubernetes service, a Linode, a EKS, an AKS, a GKE, those managed Kubernetes cluster environments, then there is no need for Rancher whatsoever. Uh, Portainer right. is feature equivalent in day two operations. I think that's good. And I, I, so it, it made me realize like the difference, it sounds like to me that like the way I would phrase it, I guess, is you're not, there is no Portainer distribution of Kubernetes, right? So There's you're not. not, yeah, you're not a Kubernetes deployment solution. And like RKE would be that, or our keys, you know, K3S, like all these would be distributions of Kubernetes where you're completely agnostic you basically, you set up the cluster somewhere else, and this is the management tool that goes on it. Like you said, after day one and then day two, that's you know you're using Portainer day to day to manage and deploy. And we're already we're getting questions on GitOps, so that's definitely going to be have to be our next topic because the last couple of years we have just constantly talked about GitOps on this channel and GitOpsing everything in our lives. And why don't you set us up when it relates to this? What is GitOps? Well, yeah, first of all, before we do, before I go further, it's important to understand Portainer sits in between your users and the backend environment. So once you have Portainer running in your environment, you don't have to go and configure any kind of authentication or RBAC in, inside the cluster. That's all done by Portainer. So as I'm adding users into my local environment in, into Portainer, we are automatically creating shadow users in the backend Kubernetes. And then when I come to an environment and try and, and give access to somebody in a cluster, I'm setting a role. We are defining the, the, the RBAC in the backend Kubernetes cluster. So you, you don't have to worry about it. So if, if let's say you had, had 10, 10 kube clusters, you'd have to go and manually configure authentication and RBAC 10 times. Right. Well, with Portainer, you do it once in Portainer and Portainer will do it to the backends automatically on your behalf. So it's really important to be aware that Portainer sits in between users and, and the backend system 
And that that's why it's important that we're a proxy so that everything everything routes through us. Nice. I don't think I quite understood how that that that, that back in, that you were actually doing the shadow creation and the RBAC management, and, and and that's one of the reasons why the proxy is the advantage there. I know for most of us, putting any endpoint, especially a Kubernetes API, on the internet or anything close to the internet is ner nerve wracking, and it requires basically a Kubernetes degree in order to m feel comfortable enough that it's battle hardened. You know, everything's locked down properly, and it sounds like you're kind of solving that by being the protective front-end proxy for all that. Yeah, I I have a pet peeve for anyone who puts their Kubernetes API on the internet. My answer to that is, are you crazy or what? So in fact, the NIST say, do not do it under any circumstance. And so what we recommend is that you don't do that. The agent runs in the cluster. The agent talks to the Kubernetes API using the loopback addresses. And you therefore, therefore never have to expose your Kubernetes API to the internet. And in that case, then it's only Portainer to Agent, which is a very secure comms channel. And you can even lock it down so only Portainer can talk to the agent and then your users are authenticated securely by Portainer. And it's important inside Portainer, you can actually, when you turn on authentication, external authentication, you can actually go and have two-factor authentication. So if you're using any one of the, the providers, you, you can make sure you've got 2FA. So users can't even log into Portainer without their, their 2FA creds. And that's gives you this kind of battle hardened if, if if you need it. Nice. All right. So we've got this. We've got this proxy. It's managing users of multi cluster. It's managing multiple clusters, managing Docker and Kubernetes, and soon Nomad. So the next step to me seems like let's talk about application deployment, which gets me into the GitOps topic. I feel like because nowadays there's still I guess the two camps, right? There's people that it's small enough, it's simple environments, so they'd rather just do something in a web UI, point it to a YAML or point it to some repo or something like that, and just say, you know, auto-deploy this thing without me having to be a GitOps expert and know, you know, one or two or three other tools, right? And you were mentioning before the show that now that you're adding some of this functionality, you can even avoid those tools if you don't need them. And again, simplifying the pipeline of all these toolings, it can be quite daunting, I think, even for me to set them all up in order to make sure that I just can de deploy an app. I just want to deploy an app from some code that I have in a Absolutely. container image. Well, so you'll always see in Botana two buttons. This button, you could basically rename this to ClickOps. This button, GitOps, if you want it to be that simple. So you know, I can, I can click this button here, add application to the form, and we'll guide you through in relatively plain English, you know, there's the Kubernetes lingo as to what we're doing. Now, the reason we, we built this ourselves is we, we looked at the, all of the other you know, GitOps tools in the market and they all run in cluster. And so if you've got multiple clusters, it's deployed and configured multiple times. Right. Here, this is Portainer is actually running as the arbitrator. So Portainer itself is ensuring that all of the, the, the deployments are active in all of the clusters. So you can have hundreds and hundreds of clusters out there all with GitOps configured from Portainer in this very, very simple way. And it's just going to go and, and manage. There's nothing needed and you guys already done it. So two of two. So you, you don't need to do anything um, in the cluster. You just configure it. And this GitOps solution works on Docker as well. So if I was in a Docker environment, I have exactly the same thing. So if I switch to Docker and I go to stacks and add a stack, Git repo, same thing, but here it's a Docker Compose file, but it's exactly the same thing. So we will basically ensure that the stack or Compose is live and running and managed from Git centrally. 
So it's, it's a really, really simple and, you know, what more capability do you need to get started with GitOps than that? It's very, very simple. That did not require any high degree of competence to get this kind of GitOps syncing working. Yeah. And I think on the Swarm and Docker side, I feel like this, you're the only currently maintained tool that performs a GitOps like workflow, which answer, I mean, a ton of people have asked me over the years about, well, you know, I love the idea of GitOps, but I, I don't want to have to shift to Kubernetes to do it. And every other major tool on the market is only Kubernetes for GitOps. And so there's like yep. this desert of tooling for just simpler setups where you just need Docker or Swarm. Does it work with, do I have to have Swarm to use the compose file? Can I use it with no. just, no? Yep. Like Docker compose command line kind of thing? Yep. And one of the other cool things we did in the business edition, if I go to the, the setup of the cluster, you can actually set a change window. And so outside of that change window, any GitOps automation is paused. And so so basically when inside the change window, Git, the, the Git polling will work. So you can actually say, I, I, I don't want GitOps changes being propagated during core business hours. I only want them after hours. And so you can set a change window that says between 7 p.m. and 6 a.m. Is, is our change window and, and any changes are propagated and made live, but during business hours, uh, uh, don't do it. So even if a dev pushes a change in Git, it'll simply queue and then inside the change window, Portana will catch up and, and run those things, which is quite a cool feature. Yeah, that's a subtly, that's like a kind of a feature that's not, it's either not available or not obvious in another tooling too, because I think one of the challenges too is a lot of times we'll be, we'll all go to containers, we'll go crazy with Kubernetes and Swarm and all that stuff. But just because we did that doesn't mean we have a highly redundant app, right? Like a lot of people will put up, I see the solutions in companies all the time where, you know, they'll have three web front ends or whatever, but their database is also in the in any container solution and, but it's not redundant, right? So they really can't do deploys all day, any day, whenever, right? They, if they change the version of the database and it has to replace the image, they're going to be taking their system down. And we'd like to all think we're at a, I can roll, you know, I'm the, what was the, the famous like DevOps talk from Flickr, I think it was back in like 2008 that said they did 50 deploys a day and it blew everybody's mind. Like that, that's what we all wish we could get to, but it takes a lot of, there's a subtle complexity, especially when it comes to rolling updates on apps to ensure zero downtime. So I would say even for a lot of my customers and the people that I talk to, they really need that window, right? They, they, and they just do it by making sure humans don't accidentally do something. But if they do, it's kind of neat that there's this protection there. And the idea that it queues it up, I wouldn't even have thought of that. That's a pretty interesting way to solve that problem for people and reduce the risk, I guess, of GitOps. So that's answering Done. question, which was, does this replace Argo instance in yes, a GitOps scenario? Yeah. Yes, it does. It replaces Flux, replaces Argo. Obviously those tools are substantially more feature rich than this one. And if you need those features, then you've got no choice but to use them. You know, our whole focus here is, is making GitOps really easy to use. You know, I, I, I really like the whole principle behind GitOps. I, I love it. It's just far too, far too complicated. And we're actually making it so much harder for an SRE and a DevOps person to be productive because they're actually not spending time helping their users, you know, embrace containerization, you know, you, as a DevOps guy or an SRE guy, you should be helping your users get their applications in and efficiently running. You shouldn't be spending time managing the tools for the platform. That's just overhead. So right. the tool should be invisible. They should just work. And the, the more complexity and the more features that these things have available, if you don't use them, it's just, just, just a waste. Yeah. I know a lot of the, especially with Argo, I mean, Flux is the same way, but a lot of my, uh, 
you know, a lot of my customers end up with, you know, before DevOps, they really had, it was a mystery how it got into production, right? It was handholding and some people clickety clackety on a shell or something. But now that we're telling them that everything needs to be infrastructure as code and GitOps, all the things that the new problem is sure it's in code it's in a repo but now we have five repos to manage we have the helm repo we have the argo repo we have the code repo we might even be a separate repo that's got something that's like an overlay like a customized overlay on top of helm sometimes it just it gets to the point where to make a release of software when you have to edit four or five different repos to do that it it, it inherently feels more complex than it was before even though we get all this extra benefit and oversight, you know, review PR reviews, that whole PR process is a benefit, I think, of GitOps. And it, it, but I know to a lot of developers, it seems like they're, they have a lot more work now because they have to, they, they can't just yeah. release in their code repo. They now have to do all these other things in other repos to get it deployed. So, so it's cool. I like that. And, and there's a lot of other features. So I can see a lot of stuff here, but you know, like we have this option here to show system resources. Now we, there are a bunch of resources that inside Kubernetes make Kubernetes work. If you mess with them, you will break it. it as an admin user, you can break it. So we, we by default hide them. So all these system resources, so we, we hide them and we all, we actually make them read only. So you can't actually, even as an admin, I'm an admin user. I can't mess with these because messing with them is dangerous. Now, if I want to. I can come in, same thing with namespaces. I can go and unhide the system ones. If I want to, I can come into kube system and I, I can unmark it, but then that that's me knowingly removing Portainer's protections to then go yeah. and do something. So we are very cognizant of the fact that mistakes can happen and we want to protect you from mistakes wherever possible. So, you know, you have the ability to, to turn off our protections to, you know, in, in case of emergency, but they're there by default to protect you. And it's the right. same thing with things like, like the cluster. You know, you may just because this is running inside a cloud provider with load balances, maybe just maybe you don't want your users using them because it costs you money. If you've got multiple storage classes, maybe just maybe you don't actually want to, to have all of them available. Maybe you don't want your Azure NVMe premium storage being made available in your dev cluster because it's, it's expensive. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff, you know, like the default namespace. You should never deploy to the default namespace, never. So we've got an option to turn it off in the free version as well. Turn it off. So, yeah. so you can only deploy users can only deploy to named namespaces, not default. Right. Nice. I have a great list of questions. The container feature request for Docker show container uptime on the container list dashboard. Yep. I get it. So we've got the created date, but yeah, we don't have uptime. Right. So, yeah, yeah cool. it's like the diff between created and now does Portainer have the LDAP configuration file like JSON to mount oh, that our authentication so so our LDAP authentication you fill in the forms by the way something that I, it's not immediate obvious everything I'm doing in the UI we have a very rich API for so Portainer is actually an API first product so we actually have a swagger file and everything can be configured through API so if you want as an admin want to infrastructure as code Portainer and, and all the initial settings you can do so as well so you can go set all this stuff up so I'm not sure if that was meant what they mean there, but LDAP, you either type it in manually or you use our API to configure the LDAP settings. Right. And I'm interpreting the question as can, basically, can we almost like, can we get off this config? Does the config for LDAP 
can it be something that we mount like a JSON file into there? Not at the moment. Not yeah. at the moment. The, uh, the, 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 it's basically an API call. And we are ourselves trying to get more GitOps. We actually have a persistent volume ourselves. And we're in, in, in discussions to say, do we even need that? Can we actually persist everything from Portainer in a Git repo? So you use the Git repo as our database of sorts. So that there's some thoughts on that and, and how we could do that ourselves. But there's actually a desire for us for Portainer itself the container to become completely stateless and we have a Git repo holding our state. So the, yeah. that or a database, an external database. So we're, th we're thinking that one through. Yeah, that sounds awesome, but also can, sounds like it could be very tricky. I, I think that's the natural progression too for a lot of us is that once we start to love the GitOps mindset of everything's infrastructure is code, you know, the GUIs, the GUIs are either limited or prevented or whatever. And that I go through the PR process for changes to anything in the cluster that's when you inherently want the GitOps tool to be deployed through GitOps, which starts to have a little nesting doll problem. But it, that is a challenge, I think, with any tool out there right now. And the one thing that I have always asked for, and it sounds like this might be a part of your idea, is that you know GitOps or any infrastructure as code doesn't really handle... Like it's usually a third-party thing for the tool it's managing. For example, like Terraform's managing AWS. AWS doesn't stop working in the web GUI just because I want to manage it with Terraform only, right? I have to basically remove people's access or set them read-only. But every once in a while, they need that escape hatch, the emergency to be able to go in and just change something on the fly because something's totally broken. So the challenge there is always I wish the tools themselves when they, I change them in the tool that they would know that I want GitOps and that they would go change my YAML for me. And it never works that way, right? Because of course, you know, AWS isn't interested in using Flux or Argo or whatever right on the back end. But in your case, if this idea of yours was to store the config in a GitOps way, that to me means that I could still let people have permissions to the GUI to go change things. But in the background, it's recording changes which I think is one of the core principles of like the importance of DevOps or GitOps rather is that, that I can yeah. use that same PR workflow for infrastructure change of all things, including things that have a GUI, right? So if you did that, you would, you know, I would give you the, much love. <laughs> so the only, the only complexity there is inside of manifests, there are thousands of options. Yeah. Yeah. Inside the manifest, inside the form that I can't have thousands, it would, it would blow up. So if you were writing the YAML in our front-end UI and we were saving in Git, as long as someone didn't modify it outside of, inside of the UI and add more things that the UI didn't, didn't cope with, because then if, if you then tried to edit it in the UI, there'd be a whole bunch of, of meta that we were unable to render into the UI and therefore edit. Yeah. So that would be problematic. So we, we'd have to try and... Get, you know, ha handle that clash somehow. Yeah, and that well, and that's why this isn't something that I see often or at all, right? Because it's like it's a complex problem of allowing something to be configured from multiple ways, and then it all merge into one single source of truth. And that's what a lot yeah. of us always try to get to is that single source of truth for what happened, what changed, and obviously, Git was never designed for this kind of stuff. We're all we're kind of all just shoving this generic versioning tool into this. I even see now we're we're. GitHub themselves are actually trying to continually abstract away the Git protocol and hide it behind a friendly GUI so that I don't have to even know Git commands to do a lot of Git things. And I feel like, yeah, we're all kind of experimenting with this idea of what if everything was code and what if everything was was in a GitOps type of repo. So 
I totally get it. It's hard, yeah. and it's going to be years before we get there, right? Well, what's really interesting is our new our new sales guy who has a very technical background. He said to me, "Bortana is the kubectl. What what GitHub is to Git." And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool uh, for a sales guy to, to to have that kind of clarity. <laughs> you know, right. like, like Git, you know, GitHub actually made Git very usable. You know, Git from the command line is woof, but GitHub is very and GitLab very easy. They made it very easy to use Git. And you know, Portainer has done has done the same thing for for the kubectl and Helm. Yeah, yeah. And I I still today there are things that I do in a GUI with Git that I don't actually know the exact command to do that at the command line. Like very complicated stash, merge, pulls all in one kind of things. Like you click a button and it does all the like three or four commands at the same time. It's kind of like Docker Compose does for Docker. Like it's just, it it hides the complexity and I don't have to know it. It bugs me that I don't know it, but at some point you just have to be okay with that level of abstraction. So what we, we struggle with is the, the depth of our capability. You know, I, I could talk for days around things like you know, just coming into a Docker node, we've got the ability to apply taints. You can apply labels here. You can do all sorts of stuff. So, you know, if, if anyone out there is playing with Portainer and Kubernetes, give it a really good play. There's there's far more capability than you can possibly imagine all throughout the thing. You know, being able to go into an application, looking at the placements, you know, okay, yep, yep, there's no constraints. They can actually run on this node. There's stuff everywhere. There's, there's features and capabilities everywhere. I'm only scratching the surface right now. There's so, so much capability right. inside Portainer for Kubernetes. The kube config file, if, if, if I had 10 kube clusters in here, when I hit this button, it's going to create me a single kube config file with them all correctly merged and formatted in, in one. Yeah, that's wow. cool. That is very cool. Yeah, that's always the challenge I have with any other tool out there once I build the cluster is it's not going to merge with my existing cube config. So I either have to use a separate file and just deal with that ex extended command line option, or I have to manually copy paste myself. There's probably a tool, uh, there's probably yep. some manual tool out there that auto merges or something or helps me merge it. But just having this out of the box, that is a neat little button. All right, more questions. Can you upgrade a community install to a business version? Or is uh, it that's the difference between open source and closed source. You have to redeploy. So it, it's a new container. All you have to do is basically stop and redeploy with the Portainer BE image. So sorry, Portainer EE image. And the database is 100% the same. So you simply stop the current one and then re restart it using a different image and it, it comes live. So, but all of your settings, everything is retained. The database is exactly the same. It's retained, but because of open source code versus closed closed source code, the open source community would have kittens if I had a mechanism in there to upgrade it to Portana Business. So um, we've kept the open source clean, clear, open source, and you have to switch to a different image if you want to switch to the business edition. The business EE version is free for five nodes. Correct. So there is a, a five node free license, so you can basically spin it up for five nodes, and if you want more than that, then you license it. But for home users or people just starting out in a lab environment, five nodes is plenty. Yeah. The same question I think we just asked, but can you configure the configuration for authentication from the environment variables or command line? Because without that, there's manual effort that needs to be documented whether, rather than coded. So same thing, if, uh, all of Portana settings right now are either configured in the UI or via the API. Right. So you, you, you can simply post API commands to Portana to, to actually configure everything. And there's not a Portainer CLI, right? 
believe it or not, one is currently in development. It kind of, to me, does my head in because we, we, we're trying to take away the CLI. But yes, we are currently writing a Portainer CLI just because it, there is so much request for it. So yeah. I don't understand. We're supposed to be taking away the CLI, yet we're, yet we're giving back a Portainer CLI. But anyway, <laughs> yes, yes, there's one in, in, in development right now. Well, it's it. You know, you say that I, there's another tool that I've mentioned several times this year called Replicated, and they have their own Kubernetes distribution. They called Curl, and then they have this packager for applications on top called Cots, and it has a web UI. And one wouldn't think that you needed a CLI because their whole point is it's just YAML and web interface, but it does help for that GitOps, GitHub Actions kind of thing, for especially for like linting or anything else that's related to their configuration or the configuration of the stuff in there. They do have that. It's a limited but a viable CLI that does a few of those things that I just need to automate. So I see how that could make sense where you don't want for things that you would normally go in the web UI if you want to automate that for test deployments or test setups of things or whatever. I, I could see that that's, that makes sense. Yep. Hopefully, hopefully that answers the question. The other interesting thing is we're currently just doing a research when you're, so an environment, I'd love to call this add cluster, uh, but then that would alienate Docker standalone. So we, we've called it add environment. Environment simply means a Docker node, a Swarm cluster, a Kubernetes cluster, right? So add environment here. We're actually just having a experiment to create a new cluster. So again, when I said we're not going to be a Kubernetes distro, we will never be a Kubernetes distro. But asking a cloud provider to create me a cluster is a very simple API call. So we are right now at right building a feature where you can say, I don't have an existing cluster. I want to add a new one. We will go and ask certain cloud providers. We're starting with Sivo, Linode, and DigitalOcean. Hey, Sivo, here are my credentials. Can you give me a cluster of this configuration? And this, and we do that through Sivo's API. They will then reply back with, yes, here, it, here is your details. We will then connect, install the agent, and add it to Portainer automatically. So for cloud providers, we will be doing that. And we'll start with those three challenger brands, and then we'll look to add support for the, the big three later on. Yeah, the more, the harder ones. <laughs> well, I've actually got a, a personal warm spot on my heart for, for challenger brands. So I guess I, I think we're a challenger brand. So I quite like helping the CVOs and Linodes and DOs to, to sort of step up. Yeah, I think I, I helped with Linode when they launched their Kubernetes offering for creating clusters with a few clicks. I think I did that live shift for them. And that was like 2020, I think. Yeah, it was right in the beginning of the pandemic and nobody knew how to do live shows. So I was helping them out with their live show. And that was really cool. And I love seeing that because for years, I mean, from 2017 through like 2019 into 2020, I was not a huge fan for one or two person DevOps teams to deploy Kubernetes at all, unless they were using a cloud managed solution mm -hmm. just because it, there was just all the tools weren't there yet. The install tools would sometimes have vulnerable configurations out of the box. And there was just no easy, you had to be basically an expert just to build the servers, right? Just to, to deploy everything. And now obviously a lot of the tooling has gotten simpler. Everything's getting better, but now we have these click button installs and that's always my preferred recommendation for everyone. So for, if you're wanting to build Kubernetes, that's how you should be doing it, right? I, unless you're a fortune 100 company, you may n never need to build it by hand, you know, and by hand, I mean like a kube admin install, because even that requires, you got to pick your runtime. You've got to, you've got to know which one that is and keep that one up to date. So there's a lot going on there that I just love that the clouds take care of. Cause I think that's the way that we're all going to eventually consume 
Kubernetes is it, it someone else made it and manages it and updates yeah. it. If, if you want me to, to blow your mind one last time, we have this other feature, Edge Compute. Now, there's actually a feature you turn off or on in the settings for Portana, and it's this Edge Compute thing now. Using Docker and Kubernetes at the edge is actually pretty neat. And at the edge, I mean connected to the internet. So you can have a cluster in a remote location. If you think about a, a mining facility, you've got, you've got Docker hosts out there at the mine site or oil rigs. You can think of all these use cases, smart cities, where you've got servers out there in the wild and you want to centrally manage them from one place. That's our edge compute feature. So you can actually go and create edge groups and you can create groups of nodes. And these nodes are using our edge agent. And I'll describe that in a second. Once, once you've actually created an edge group, you can go and deploy a stack and that's either Kubernetes or Docker, depending on your nodes, paste in a compose file or a manic or Git, you got GitOps as well at the edge, and it will go and deploy that application on all of those clusters out there, all 20,000 of them simultaneously, if you so desired, that is a very, very cool feature. We're just about to release on the 7th, a, a collab with Intel. We will also be providing zero touch device onboarding and remote KVM. So the ability to connect to the remote devices, BMC or KVM port and get a mouse keyboard, power it on, power it off outside of Docker, which is pretty cool. So we've got this edge compute capability, and this is all powered by our edge agent. And the edge agent is for lack of a better description, pub sub. The agent, the edge agent out there is talking back to Portana, much like GitOps. Is there anything for me to do? Anything for me to do? Anything for me to do? Like, so you can have these edge devices in your home behind NAT. You can have a Portana instance hosted in, in the internet and you can manage them without any holes in, in the firewall. You can have it connected to a 4G modem um, and you can manage it interactively over the internet securely, which is a very, very cool thing, either, either separately or en masse. Wow, that I'm not sure because when you would say edge computing, I, I'm thinking, how is that different than just a tiny cluster? But the idea that it's basically, is it like pools or where you can group them together? I mean, how does it know? Is it simply just deploying the thing you change to all of them? Correct. So, so edge compute is basically just a tiny cluster. So it'll be a three node cluster out there on in the corner of a street, in a comms cabinet, somewhere in the middle of Asia or Africa or wherever else you've got. So you've got, got these things distributed around the world, these clusters, and you want to manage them centrally and deploy an application to them right now everywhere. So you can say, here is my traffic light management software. Deploy this to all of my traffic light management systems all in the city right now. And we'll go and push it out to all of the clusters that, that runs the software that runs the traffic lights for that city. So you can do it in that, that particular type of use case. So it's just a very, very neat tool. Now th there's a whole podcast ju just on each compute, but it's a very, very cool feature for people to play with. So you mentioned podcast. Is that a Portainer podcast? We or do webinars. Uh, we, we do regular webinars. We have our, our Portainerd series, which you can come and listen to our, our Portainerd series. And, and we teach you cool stuff about Portainer on a regular basis. So all of the old Portainerds are up on our YouTube channel, but we schedule Portainerd sessions all the time. And they're a deep dive on a particular piece of functionality inside Portainer. All right. 
Okay, so YouTube channel, I guess there's a sign up on the website maybe for... You need to join our community. So so you can go to the, the website and join the community and then you'll we'll send you a newsletter when we're going to run a Portainet event and you can then register for the, the event, turn up and it's a full interactive discussion and ask questions and we show you how to do, do cool stuff in Portainet. Nice. All right, you've already given some hints at stuff that's coming up. We got the CLI coming up, possibly. We've got no Nomad support. Anything else you can tease us with? We're further refining the GitOps solution. We yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch of of, of really cool stuff coming up. Actually, there's we are looking at a more lightweight agent. We are adding support for better monitoring, so the Prometheus and Grafana type integration. Yeah, how we can look into that? Again, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that. But GitOps is where we're going to be getting a lot more of our focus in the lines of how do we provide a slightly more capability, but without giving away our simplicity, because I'm really, really focused on that. Yeah, that's the hardest part is to take a complex idea and make it simple, but flexible. And, you know, Docker was one of the first tools I saw that kind of mastered that art out of day one. And that's because they had a lot of people that were focused on that. (laughs) It It wasn't by accident. It was because of effort. So I appreciate tools that take that extra level of effort to try to really understand the use cases like, like Portainer does. So thanks for that. You, you have no idea how hard it is to to make something easy. (laughs) It's insane. It can be simple, but not easy. The, okay. So you said monthly updates and people can join the community. Is that a newsletter? It is is a newsletter. Yes. All right. And if people want to have more questions or want to reach out, do you have Twitter? What, how else we have can they Twitter. We, we, we have our Slack channel. And again, the invites are all on the website. So there's a Slack channel, there's a Discord, or my emails are always open. You'll be surprised. I respond to every single email I get. And it's just neil at portana.io. So it's the easiest email to remember. <laughs> and of course, you're on all the socials. You have a Slack, you have a Discord. We um, have a Reddit. Reddit. Yeah. And there, you know, my experience with the community is that they just enjoy using a tool that's easy to use, doesn't require a lot of maintenance, just works and mm-hmm. supports whatever they're wanting to do, whether that's Docker single machine or multiple Docker machines or a swarm or a Kubernetes cluster. And I like that you're, you've created this idea that you can actually have just one management tool for all those things where so many of the other tools tend to focus. You've gone to the extra effort and to, to include all those things. And I really appreciate that because a lot of people have... That they have to switch complete tools just for different clusters. And Correct. We, none of us have just one cluster anymore. Like if you're going to make clusters, you're going to end up with multiple clusters. <laughs> well, the other thing is you'll find that devs are running Docker on their machine, but Kubernetes in production. And so they would really appreciate a single tool that lets them see both. You know, like like I, I run Docker and Kube on my, on my laptop and it uses about six gig of RAM just to idle. And so I, I have to go and spend money to buy a bigger machine to idle Kubernetes so I can dev on both. It's crazy. So... You know, Docker uses about about 100 meg of RAM, so I would yeah. much rather have yeah have, have my devs using Docker and, and having cheaper machines than anything else. Yeah. Well, Neil, thank you so much for being on the show. I have learned all these new features. Like you said, we could go down for many more hours all down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole of all the features and functionality and the workflows. But I hope some of you listening will check it out. Again, it's been something I've been recommending for particularly for Docker and Swarm for a long time now. And I'm glad that you're growing. And I think you told me some impressive numbers before the show. And congratulations on your success. I think the front page has something about half a million users or something like that. And uh, it's just amazing to see the growth 
and the support that the community has given you. Yeah, there's been just over two and a half million people have used Portana in our life so far, and we are now at 600,000 monthly users, regular monthly users, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, very happy That's with a lot that. of people. That's a lot of people. That's I grew up in a small town. That's a lot of people. <laughs> well, again, thanks you so much for being on the show. Good luck getting back to New Zealand, and congrats on creating this product and going for basically being the default tool for everybody as a web UI. I think is really where you're, you're heading. And that's a pretty amazing thing to do in the, the vast world of Kubernetes and Docker and Swarm and Nomad and all these different things. So I'm looking forward to having you back on the show so we could talk about the, the new features you're adding this year. It sounds like you're doing it pretty mm -hmm. consistently. So uh, again, if you have any questions for Neil, he's on all the things. He's on all the channels. Uh, just go to portainer.io to check him out and get started with your web, your web interface. Come back and join us next Thursday and we'll see you on the podcast. Thanks again. If you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.